This is Amanda. And this is Rachel. And this is Vocal Perspective. On this week from Vocal Perspective, we are so thrilled to welcome, I mean, you may know her from so many different avenues, so we'll tease her. We have her originally in Pitch Slapped, you know, a little while ago, and then Vocalocity, The Sing-Off, and even currently The Rockettes. We have with us Hannah Giuliano. Hey, Hannah, how are you? She's not a Rockette, but she's singing for the Rockettes. Yes. (laughs) Well, we were assuming that with all of your vocal backgrounds that you would be dancing too. Right. You would be surprised. I have family members (laughs) (laughs) that don't know. Whoa. Wait. So I think that begs the question of how do you how do you plan on telling them? That I don't actually dance in the show, but I just sing. Yeah. Pretty much just like that. Uh, we find out during the conversation who knows and who doesn't. <laughs> it's like, awesome. no, no, no. I'm the third elf from the left in the yellow <laughs> costume when the Rockets are not on stage. <laughs> awesome. So I kind of want to start at the beginning, if that's okay. And can you talk a little bit about your experience with Pitch Slapped? Oh my gosh. Well, I guess it even goes even further back than that. Because when I got to college, I kind of, I didn't really know that I would be interested in vocal groups or anything like that. It wasn't anything that was ever on my radar. But I remember seeing the word acapella and it kind of zinged that my my mom was in a group. She sings at Disneyland and has my whole life. And she was in a group called Groove 66 that was actually started by Deke Sharon and there was this day where all of the people in that cast and in that group came to our house and I was probably like 11 or 12 and they sang through they were rehearsing and they sang through their version of uh, Seasons of Love and I will never forget it just like kind of peeking outside of my bedroom door and listening to all these voices and it just it rang with me and for some reason it it was never something that I ever thought that I was going to pursue but I remember seeing that word acapella at the the club fair right and yeah and I had to sign up for it and I didn't really get what it was until I got into the group (laughs) 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 I really didn't I thought it was choir of some sort um but it was better than expected you know yeah and kind of sparked that fire to just I mean I immediately started trying to arrange for the group and figuring out how to work on a a digital audio work you know I don't even remember which one it was it might have been garage band but Mm. just um um, yeah, I didn't even know how to notate music yet, just singing on top of myself and trying to figure out, you know, how to make it work out of nothing. Yeah. I just loved it. Yeah. And I mean, she's sounding really humble right now, but I just remember your first appearance at ICCA where you guys got second place, but you were the only one to get a standing ovation from the entire audience, the entire show. It was amazing. So to hear you be like, yeah, like I didn't really know what I was doing. <laughs> well you're doing something right obviously even if you don't know what it is i guess that's it that's that's true follow your ears and follow your heart kids it will lead you to the way (laughs) so from there how did you take your next step how did you decide what to do next did it fall in your lap were you did you pursue it you know, when I, even when I got into Berkeley from the get-go, I was always drawn, same kind of thing. I was, I was drawn to the, the major contemporary writing and production. I didn't really know what it meant, but I knew I didn't want to go for performance. I didn't want to study voice. Um, I actually started as a, as a piano player as a kid. That's kind of how I got into music. I didn't start singing till actually pretty late. I was about 16 or 17 when I really started singing um, in high school. And yeah, 
I like played the oboe and the clarinet. I just came from a totally different world than voices, but um, voices kind of clicked for me. And I remember thinking about arranging and and wanting to know about how to make a performance and and the bit the general scope of the music, how to make that work. That always really resonated with me. Specifically, this one. I guess I'll go into story time. Yeah. This one performance of Alicia Keys. I don't remember what award show it was at, but it was a performance of oh my gosh, what's it? If I ain't got you. And she was in all white. She had this white piano and this orchestra that was in all white. And um, and it was just stunning. And I remember kind of about the same age, maybe 10 or 11. I remember just watching it and thinking, how do you make that? From yeah. the, the song that I hear on the radio all the time into this like orchestral piece with strings and she changed things in it. And I just, I remember thinking, how do I make that happen? I, I want to do that. I want to make that happen. I don't need to be her, but I want to be, I want to figure out how to put that together. So that always was something that really interested me. So I pursued that at school, writing and arranging in not as much the production side, still kind of working on that. Kind <laughs> 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 no of skated through the production side of it but mm-hmm. um but the arranging aspect of it has yeah. always been something that I've just really loved and been interested in and that's what uh, what I started pursuing there was wow. yeah writing for horns and and strings and and in in a more contemporary style as opposed to classical or or jazz or something and then how did you transition from that out of college into your next step like how did you transition it into something that you can do permanently as a living yeah i mean it was a lot of trying to I mean it's still it's honestly still a challenge trying to figure out how to do that for work Mm. because a lot of people don't understand arrangement from do you know that when I say I write people think that that means I write songs but I know I write I try to write all the music around the song you know like it's it's hard to explain even sometimes to musicians they don't understand a lot of time that they might need an arranger so um, a lot of it is is trying to network in that sense I got really lucky with opportunities with the sing-off actually the tv show connected me with a lot of different people in terms of establishing myself as an arranger that people could come to that had the need for it even just now I've I just started working I've been working for a wedding band for about six years as a singer and um, I'm directing the band now which is awesome and like just now getting my feet wet again in terms of of arranging like I'm flexing these muscles that I have not used in a long time because the work really does go in and out and you get drawn to what's going to pay the bills which is a lot of time just singing um you know because it's more commercially accessible and yeah I don't know it's kind of hard to pinpoint how but also client building like once I get one client I just I mean pour everything into trying to be needed you know trying to be the one they need and like helping build their sound and their brand Mm. so that they don't go to anyone else because (laughs) hopefully they (laughs) need to do it you know what I mean? I mean, we talked a little bit about this uh, for uh, in a segment that we did. It was about constructive criticism, but it's more broadly relationship management. How do you build a, rela- a successful relationship, working relationship with people? It sounds like that's what you're alluding to. Uh, yeah, no, and it's been really important. It's something that also 
and I don't know if it's a feminine energy, but uh, something that can lead to some anxiety too of too much. I, you know, putting too much energy into the job and sometimes needing to take a step back and go, it's not, none of this is the end of the world. Like, um, you know, if you lose the business or if, or if they need something else or if they don't call as, as often as you are hoping that they do, it's not the end of the world. But yeah, I'm really big on turnaround, really trying to make sure that something gets done fast because mm. that, that's a huge thing is, is just deadlines and keeping them and making them and the worst feeling like knowing that it's past and then they reach out and it's just something that I... Oh, that's so stress inducing. You're like, oh no, I missed that deadline and now I'm just going to feel terrible about it until I it's... I promise I'm working on it. Like, and you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> it's just something that, that happened a lot or, or often enough when I first started, when I first moved to New York and I first was working as a freelancer that that's become really important to me to try to stick to is turnaround making it really fast but like also not saying trying to trying to manage that hey can you do this project yes I can do it but I really can't have it to you before next Wednesday not promising something that is uh not tangible so that's been really big for me is turnaround and then yeah I guess just trying to make something trying to make it special trying to put some some kind of spin on it that sounds like me which has taken a lot of years to you know kind of find your own brand and your own voice as an arranger and writer, but also really trying to honor what it is that they're asking for. Sometimes, yeah. you know, sometimes the fancy idea is just not going to read and goes over an audience's head, you know, and which isn't, it's not that the audience isn't smart enough. It just sometimes it's too fast or, mm-hmm. you know, there's too much uh, backstory. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe there's some like intricate choreo going on at that moment that, that they lose the audio for the video, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Intent, intent. Like what is the, what's the intention of this moment? You know, what is the reasoning behind making this choice right now? Sometimes it's important to just kind of not water it down, but simplify in order Mm -hmm. to make something else pop. Um, yeah. As opposed to just barfing. That was a hard lesson to learn where, you know, you find you spend all of this time finding a way to make it sound awesome, but it's super complicated. And you realize, like, is it really worth it? Is there really like a return on investment working this like four measures to make this complicated thing sound awesome? And uh, the audience won't even notice that it was there. It's so it goes so fast. <laughs> so fast. And that that is big too. Yeah, like editing, not giving the same value to every idea that you might have. Mm because they're not some of them are cooler or more intricate but not all of it is necessary and not all of it well, needs to it, be in the same place. Yeah, if everything's at 11, then everything doesn't mean anything, right? Like it, it all just you need those ups and downs and as we mentioned offline peaks and valleys um <laughs> <laughs> to make those moments, to make those, you know, valleys be valleys and those peaks be peaks. 100%. It's big on on choreo too. I know you t- mm-hmm. touched on that, but that's something that um if I'm ever at a festival or anything, um, I've call, kind of fallen into this place of the classes that I teach are performance classes, but they're not vocal performance classes. They always end up being movement, which I, f- I find kind of interesting. And something I did do when I first got out of college too, I was called by a couple people to like to coach an individual artist on their movement which I loved like the (laughs) greatest thing to watch videos of these artists and then kind of pick apart what it is that their safety moves are, you know, uh, the clutching of the rib cage or that, you know, our awkward hands when we kind of hold them in front. But uh, you know, it's almost psychological. Like what is it that you're doing to protect yourself on stage? And how is it that we can get around moving around that to make you more comfortable in your body and then 
to be able to then give a, a fuller picture to your audience in terms of movement. Yeah. But that's a big thing is stillness. Yeah. You know, it's really hard to just stand still and it's so hard. So hard. <laughs> Comfortably, not mm-hmm. not like standing still and you're it's painful for the audience because you know that they are just it's out of fear or something, but like too comfortably stand in silence and stillness and and deliver music is really hard but it's so important sometimes you know the stillness and the silence gives way to what it is that you have to say next yeah it makes me think of a specific moment recently at ICHSA finals where intonation they did oh gosh I cannot remember what song it was but it was their middle song and the soloist he won best solo for this performance but he was so good at like he felt that performance right he stood there and he emoted but he didn't move that much right it was just so powerful in his in his reigning in of his emotions and it it really like I'm connecting that to what you're saying like I I feel like it it's I mean it's hard and it does it takes a lot of it takes practice and physically I guess that's something that I tell to be fair a lot of these this work is with with high schoolers who a aren't comfortable in their bodies yet (laughs) (laughs) we are right right it doesn't get much better (laughs) we really it takes a long time (laughs) yeah to figure out these weird machines that we're driving (laughs) and the emotions inside of them oh my god and the hormones (laughs) (laughs) being on the other side of that high school hormone phase girl you know it's real it's real But yeah, I guess it does. It does. It takes a lot more like um, personal workshopping than people might think, you know, just sitting in front of a mirror and making weird faces yourself or practicing a whole song with your arms in the air so that, you know, that's that's a lot of that nerves is what's going to happen especially in a live setting. Am I going to trip over my feet? Am I not going to know what to do with my hand? Like, I'm not going to know what to do or I'm going to look silly or, you know, that unknown is the thing that uh, really drives that fear. And the only way I've found to get around that stuff is to practice getting out of that kind of cage or that box when I'm just by Mm -hmm. myself and nobody's there. Ain't nobody there to judge me but me. (laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned your move to New York, which has been several years now, but New York is known for being very cutthroat. You are surrounded by artists that have worked their whole life for this. How do you survive? You seem to be doing landing gigs and what's behind that? Like, I mean, you're very, very talented, but so are so many other people there. Like what helps you stand out? How do you, how do you do that? that That's a great (laughs) question. And and it really does put it into perspective. Like even just going to music school, like I realized this is a a thought that I've had since then. Everybody was the anthem singer from where they came. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I was the girl that sang the national anthem and all the things. But then I got to school and there were people that sang the anthem for the angels. And right. like, <laughs> like I was absolute chicken S-H-I-T, if you will. Um, <laughs> and and it is. It's like this bigger pool that you get in that just grows and grows. And it puts it in perspective that you have value. But so does ev- uh, so many other people do um, and in different ways. And it's hard to not compare and contrast those accomplishments where people have been and a lot of it really does have to do with where you are where you were who you knew but the main thing that I did when I first got here was just try to throw myself in the mix of it and that was one of the reasons I came here I remember thinking like I just want to sprint I want to hit the ground running and I want to fail and I'm 
I know that I'll be able to get out of that, whatever that failure is, and that's what I was excited to do. And you definitely don't move to New York unless you have some kind of masochistic wish to. <laughs> <laughs> See, and I was thinking you were going to say carrot, like some carrot dangling in front of you that makes it more of a parachute, right? Like that you have some sort of like, you know, something that, that might catch you. A hundred percent. You you have to know that there's, it's a lot of figuring out what it is that you don't want to do by doing as much as you possibly can. <laughs> but yeah, I did. I just, I went to all the venues. I wasn't exactly open mic nights, but I went to go see, there's a venue here called Rockwood and it's like one of the big stomping grounds. Uh, the, and the cool thing about New York is that there is a scene and there is mm-hmm. a there's an area for it, uh, which is different than someplace like I guess L.A. to give an example, because it's spread out. New York really does have borders and it won't get any Bigger wider than, than that. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there really yeah. is like a campus <laughs> that you can go to. Yeah. Uh, there's an area where, you know, there's going to be stuff happening. There, there's going to be people playing. And I just went mm-hmm. and started singing backgrounds for people for free. And then that led to other artists, just people around, you know, not artists that are even making money from any of this people that just did their own their own their own stuff and then they would ask me to sing backgrounds for them that, I guess that was a big thing of it was background singing I, I did a lot of that when I first got here and just singing think, for as many people as I could possibly sing for. yeah but I think that you might be glossing over a little bit of what you were saying before in that your desire to do good and be good for people is I don't know maybe this is a little too like the power issue but like you know you put that out into the world and sometimes it comes back to you and so you try all these things, you doing all these things and you being a sensitive, kind, thoughtful person in the process means that you make connections and relationships with people that sustain. A hundred percent. It really is super important. I can't tell you how many people that I would sing for who couldn't believe that I would show up or come with a notepad to write down what it is that they wanted me to sing. (laughs) Right. You mean you're not just transient and trying to, you know, being dependable, being coachable was a big thing that I learned early on too, was that sometimes, sometimes, I guess this kind of goes back to the ideas too. Like if somebody else is running the show, if it's their music and their rehearsal, and I'm singing as a member of the supporting team, sometimes they would miss a detail. And Mm. my instinct was to direct, was to say, oh, uh, 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 you missed this, or like, no, that's not right, or that's not what you told me the first time. And as I got older and worked more, I realized sometimes quelling that instinct is a good thing, because if it's important, it will come back again. And in that sense, being coachable, being easy to work with is more important in building that and establishing that relationship, because it is their, it's their project. And being the person that like knows it all or takes some of that power away from them is not helpful at all and not yeah. like it's just not important to be the one that remembers everything it's not important for everyone to know that you right. know <laughs> yeah well and also it might have been an artistic choice they made that they decided not to share with you 100 <laughs> percent. maybe that maybe i mean i don't know I don't know. And that really was, that was a big learning experience was kind of coming to that conclusion. And it still helps me now, you know, because I, I like being the one that remembers all the details and, and you know, that's what I did. I, I directed a group in, in college and liked being the section leader and correcting mistakes. (laughs) 
<laughs> but it but there's a lot of joy in to me anyway I'm a perfectionist and so that letter perfectness like it's like oh we're gonna get it a hundred percent hundred you know 99 is not maybe good enough a hundred percent is better yeah so there's some OCD for me anyway I'm not gonna speak for you but <laughs> it's totally real yeah of yeah letting letting some of that slide and putting it where it's appropriate maybe in my own projects I can bring that level of OCD to my own stuff when it's just me but it's not always necessary in working in a group because it makes sometimes it'll make the people around you that you're working with feel less yeah you know um that that's been always a big thing to try to try to keep in mind is that we I mean we already talked about it everybody having value everybody having their different opinions and and backgrounds and even the languages of music that we speak are different some of us think in numbers some of us think in solfege some of us think in jazz (laughs) some of us (laughs) ding 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 do not so you know there's just it's it's an interesting aspect and I actually find that when I'm working with the band a lot and as this is a perspective it is a big part of working with men all the time. I am (laughs) constantly surrounded by male musicians. And it took a lot of time for me to establish myself as somebody who, on the other end of that, I guess, establish myself as someone who knew what the hell I was talking about and letting them know that I'm, no, I'm keeping up with you. Like I'm, I'm not just, (laughs) you know, letting this pass over my head. I know what you're talking about when you're making these decisions musically. And, and I can add value to that. That took a lot of time to, and Maybe that was like I would bite my tongue more often than I should have in that sense. And, you know, and maybe maybe that's some of it is like knowing and learning when to speak up and when it's not necessary in terms yeah. of serving the the group. Yes. And and I learned <laughs> even even now I learn in working in those environments watching others yeah. when maybe they don't have that perspective on like that's just not important yeah. <laughs> and, it, yeah. and it and sometimes speaking up and and trying to fight these little tiny details that might not matter in the grand scheme of things just it puts a vibe out that I, I just I think being easy to work with is just it's so important it's so important being not being likable but like just being easy you know yeah. easy to work with in a group atmosphere especially you know sometimes adding to the chatter just isn't helpful in in terms of being productive and and um, yeah serving that that group energy yeah I think there's so many more productive things that we could talk about but sadly our time is coming to an end so I I I just want to say on behalf of myself and Amanda, just how grateful we we are that you took some time to spend with us. Thank you so much. I'm you know, and maybe that. one day we'll just do like a bonus episode of us like talking in a diner. I think <laughs> until like five in the morning. <laughs> I mean, as long as there's wine involved, I'm down. <laughs> I know. I don't know if I give you any um, solid thought thought paths, but <laughs> you totally there's something did. in there. <laughs> <laughs> many many gems like you <laughs> well I do I really am I'm very honored that you guys asked and yeah it's been just wonderful chatting girl chat <laughs> definitely <laughs> don't get a lot of it <laughs> well we will schedule another time to catch back up with Hannah Giuliano thank you so much again for spending some time on Vocal Perspective. 
You are so welcome. So with sort of award season and like end of year albums coming up, we wanted to talk a little bit about female identifying representation in those compilation albums and various awards. And, you know, we've seen that that in the past couple of years, there definitely has been representation, but not as much as maybe we would hope for. So Amanda, do you want to talk a little bit about what you think about why that might be? So we went through just now we went through seeing that Voices Only just came out this year. And there was very little representation for all female or female identifying groups on the list of 18 tracks. There's two or three on each volume, which is, you know, not nearly a third of the tracks. <laughs> and then, you know, that spurred us to go and look at Boca and Bosa and Cara nominations and things like that. So of course, some of these, the Caras especially have female specific categories. Yeah. And I've heard rumors that maybe those gendered categories are going to go away soon. Ooh. But looking at the non-gendered categories, women are sorely underrepresented. Um, so... Okay, so the question that we had is many of these awards you do have to submit for. So are all female groups just not submitting at the same rate as co-ed or male identifying groups? But also, are they just not hitting the grade or the mark of the nominators or the judges? Or are they just being overlooked? Yeah. I wonder myself, the request or the desire for the accolades that comes along with doing the submission is not maybe necessarily something that stereotypically women are, I don't know, expected to do. That looking for that kind of validation is often something that's over overlooked in women, right? That competing at that level might be something they're they're scared of. Scared of or, you know, I feel I feel like a lot of myself and a lot of women that I know are internally motivated. So we maybe feel like we don't need the external motivation of or validation of being awarded. We just do what we do. And so maybe we don't seek out more validation. Yeah, that's an excellent point and better stated than I tried to say. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that there is definitely uh, some of that at play, that this is not necessarily overt sexism or or anything of that nature, that there probably are some more complicated forces at play here. Right. And you know, the, the one that hit, struck me the most was looking at arranging. Yeah. Because arranging, you know, it has nothing to do with the sound. It has nothing to do with the voices. It is sheer skill. Yeah. And of all of the arrangers nominated for Caras last year, there are two women. In fact, non-scholastic arrangement are all men. Best professional arrangement for a non-scholastic group, all men. Um, and just a professional arrangement for a scholastic group, two women, Amanda Taylor and Hannah Tobias. Sure. Now, I know that there are a lot more arrangers out there. Yes. But you and you know, you see it when people have their go-to arrangers in mind. It's usually a long list of mm. men. So I'd love to know. And I'm seeing this in Barbershop now, mm. too. Most of the arrangers are men. And it's it's almost um, a novelty to have your arrangement done by a woman. Yeah. And I know so many talented women that are writing or could write. So I'd really like to see that number go up as yeah, well. I'd like to, I guess, challenge our listeners who may be uh, female identifying arrangers or in female identifying groups to submit your names, put yourself out there so that you can be representative of what we're trying to achieve. We see a lot actually of some of the same groups over and over again. For example, the Lorelei's and the Silhouettes, the other kind of 
mid mid Atlantic groups. It feels like quite a lot of the mid Atlantic yes. female groups, uh, female identifying groups, are throwing their hats in that ring. But we'd like to to challenge some of you other groups to to consider putting your names out there for these kinds of things and broaden the scope of female acapella. Yeah, that's why we're here. You know, we know a lot of you are out there doing things, and we want to make sure that you get the credit that you deserve. <laughs> Preach. And that wraps up episode 21 of Vocal Perspective. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Hannah Giuliano as much as we did. And we hope we gave you something to think about as the award season is rolling in and you start preparing your tracks and videos for next year's cycle. We'll be back next week with our final episode before a short holiday break. Next week, our guest is Judy Minkoff, who is the founder of Stiletta, a six-member group based in New York City. She's got a lot of great advice on starting and building up your group and creating a brand with intention. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next Tuesday.